Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. From Mamma Mia, welcome to The Spill, your snackable daily podcast for your pop culture fix. Hi, I'm Laura Brundig, Mamma Mia's entertainment editor. And I'm Key Reese. I work at Mamma Mia's internal social media agency. I have news. What's the hot gas? I want more headlines. All right, straight into it. The entertainment headlines dominating news today. Rapper Kanye West has qualified as presidential candidate in the US state of Utah. So he is not giving up anytime soon. And this was all confirmed by the Utah State Elections Director, Justin Lee, whose office verified that Kanye had the necessary thousand signatures from registered voters to appear on the ballot in the November elections. And to date, he's been able to qualify in several states, including Arkansas, Oklahoma and Colorado. And it's also interesting to note that his ballot has been challenged in Wisconsin. Even more interesting to note, this is all obviously happening in tandem with the public statements that his wife, Kim Kardashian West, has been making about his bipolar and the treatment he's receiving. So I think all eyes are on him as this moves forward. Well, some other eyes that were revealed last night. How's that for a segue? Not so great. I'm talking about the Masked Singer. So despite an amazing performance, Goldfish was voted out and it was revealed to be iconic pop singer Christine Arnoux. It's my life. Interestingly enough here, for the most secretively run show on Australian TV behind the scenes, there's been a lot of rumours about who is behind every one of those masks. Everyone has been saying for a long time that the goldfish is Christine Arnoux. So I don't know. I'm not saying there's a leak, but I feel like there's a leak somewhere in that production and we'll find it. On to the love story that never dies. I'm talking about Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. I believe you have some exciting news about a little reunion. Yes, so it has been confirmed today that Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston are set to reunite on the screen for the first time since 2001. Do you have a problem with me? I don't know. Do I? Apparently you were um, a little mean to him in high school. A little mean. You made my life miserable. I just want to say that I'm real sorry for whatever I I did to you in high school. Oh, it wasn't just me. We had a club. The I Hate Rachel Green Club. Oh, my God. So what, you all just joined together to hate me? Who else was in this club? Me and Ross. Holy shizzles. But Key Reese, before you get too excited, they're not actually joining up on screen, like teaming up as characters. They're taking part in a big table read reenactment of the very classic and very sexy Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So we don't know what roles they'll be playing yet, but there's hope they'll be playing one of the couples or characters on screen that have a lot of screen time together. And it's going to be this Thursday. So put this in your calendar <gasps> on Facebook. That soon. Yeah, on Facebook Live. It's for a fundraiser. So all the money is going towards the fight against coronavirus in the US and also criminal justice work. So look, it's not the reunion I feel like you and other fans were hoping for, but it's something. If it's anything like that backstage pick that we got at the SAG Awards, I will be so happy. 
Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. It was the biggest local entertainment news story yesterday that had everyone in media talking. Who gets to tell Australian stories? It's a landmark study released yesterday and led by non-profit group Media Diversity Australia and supported by a group of academics from around Australia. It's the first in-depth study of cultural diversity in Australian television news. And I think it's important to note for the purpose of the study that cultural diversity was defined as an ethnic background slash language or ancestry other than Anglo-Celtic. So the study took place from June 2019 through to 2020 this year, and the project really aimed to investigate and develop baseline measures around cultural diversity of our media landscape, so those on screen and also behind the scenes, and to develop the first benchmarks for a long-term, longitudinal study, so repeated observations of cultural diversity within our media. And the findings were not surprising, but have caused a lot of conversations. Yes, they really have. So obviously it's a quite in-depth report, but just kind of looking at top line, especially across our like big TV networks. So Channel 9 came in as the worst offender overall from the data that was collected by the study with only 11.4% of on-air talent in news and current affairs coming from non-Anglo-Celtic and non-European backgrounds. Channel 7 was just behind, only marginally better at 4.8%. And the third commercial network in there was Channel Channel 10, who had 8.6%. Obviously, ABC and in particular SBS sat a lot higher there, but a lot of that came to the fact that their charters dictate a kind of um, push towards diversity behind the scenes. Also, interestingly enough, in regional newsrooms across all the different states, they found that the presence of culturally diverse on-air news talent was almost non-existent at only 0.4%. So that's hitting a lot worse than the big commercial networks. Yeah, and of particular note are the states and territories where there was zero representation, and that was across Northern Territory, Queensland, South Australia, Tasmania and Victoria. So to see zero, it makes you think and question a lot of things that are going on. Well, the overall finding was really that they identified a distinctive gap of representation between those reporting our news and current affairs and the broader Australian population. So we're seeing the ethnicities of presenters outweighing what the actual cultural and ethnicity breakdown is in Australia and really just drumming home the fact that we don't have the right people or enough of the right people in there to ensure that we report on news in an unbiased way and a way that resonates with different cultures within Australia and having representation on our screen so young journalists coming up can see themselves in those roles. Yeah, exactly. And it's that discourse that was of particular interest yesterday. So not just the findings, but the way people in Australian media took it and discussed it in public forums like Twitter. So there's a lot of journalists and media presenters, some who were weighing in. Probably the most infamous reply yesterday was today presenter Carl Stefanovic. So he put his reply in a story that came from news.com.au, which was about how Australian Breakfast TV in particular had failed Australians. And Carl pointed out in his reply by saying, I'm not sure how diverse you need to be to qualify for diverse, but I'm of Yugoslav, German and British heritage with a surname Stefanovic. I used to be called a wog at school. I'm proud of my heritage. I'm pretty sure 
it's diverse, and Nine have always supported that. So that was met with a lot of different opinions, with some people kind of saying that he had missed the point of the study, and as you know, a white, a white straight man, he was still in that powerful group on TV, and that he wasn't representing a minority in that way. And so there was a lot of discussion around that. But I thought one of the kind of interesting points came from fellow TV presenter for SBS, Mark Fennell, who said, "I think that's a really completely fair observation, Carl." which is why I suspect the report itself makes a crucial distinction between Anglo-Celtic and European. I'm so glad he came out and said that because I think that that really needed to be defined. And if you only read the headlines, that can actually be missed. And it's a key metric that was used. And it is also benchmarks against other international studies and how they put them together and other diversity reports that come through from other countries that are reporting on this regularly. Well, I know we're going to get to Benjamin Law a little bit later, but I wanted to sneak in his tweet because I think we always have to find the humour in what's yeah. going on. So he tweeted that roughly 10% of on-air news and current affairs talent comes from non-Euro backgrounds, despite the fact that we represent a quarter of Australians nowadays and ended up saying solid report caption says it all and linked to a news.com headline that read cows are better represented on sunrise than culturally diverse Australians and the picture was a picture of the all-white breakfast panel at sunrise and the cash cow I think what this report is really good at doing is putting it down in front of us in black and white what we all know it's just really holding up a mirror to our media and when you see you know news.com's quite savvy and pulling out that picture and that headline but it does kind of drum home how the balance is just completely off and amongst the humor though like channel 9 and channel 7 have both like publicly questioned the methodology of the report so i don't know how much of it they're taking on board yet in particular darren week who's nine's director of news and current affairs um has said in a statement to media that he doesn't think simply counting surnames on tv is an effective way of addressing the issue although i think we can tell from the study that's not all they did to kind of get to these findings but he also wanted to say that he thinks that the study ignores the significant contribution of someone like Brooke Boney on today as she is one of the four main hosts on the desk, which I I think is a fair assumption, but I don't think the fact that you have one person who is obviously brilliant and gets a lot of coverage and um, tells amazing stories makes up for the fact that you might have deficits in other areas. But I think pointing out the success of her contribution and how many viewers she's pulled into that show, you think that would be a clear indicator that they need more of that, not to kind of say, well, we've checked that box, so we don't need to do any more there. Exactly. And I think when he's alluding to the fact that collating people's last names and making assumptions on their ethnicity, the reason that they had to do that is because there is no standardised form of tracking these numbers. And I might add that free-to-air networks are actually not required to. So there's a fault in the regulations, I think, that really needs to be looked at. We're such a heavily regulated country. So why can't we just put something into play here that makes everyone a little bit more accountable? And I feel like it's an easy win. Exactly. And I think to the thing to mark here, because obviously there was a lot of defensiveness yesterday around this. And it's understandable because if you are working in media and you're white, and I include myself in that, when you see stats like this and you see these reports, it's really uncomfortable and it's confronting and there's a real sense of of failure. But I think that's not what the report's here for. Like we didn't have any kind of data like this before. And without data, you can't have action. And without research, you can't make a plan for moving forward. And it also just alludes to the fact it's not about finding diverse people and necessarily popping them in the biggest breakfast 
presenter jobs in the country, although I'm sure there's lots of people who could definitely take that on. But I think what we kind of found is that are there only four people in Australia who can host a primetime show? You know, we've got Oshie Ginsberg hosts every program on Channel 10. You know, we've talked about the fact that Sonia Kruger hosts multiple shows. Angela Bishop is doing all, like, you know, the front of house TV presenting at Channel 10 for entertainment. And that's because they're at the top of their game and they're so skilled they know what they're doing but other people haven't been given the opportunity and the training in the years leading up to that like it's not something we can fix in a day it starts by kind of giving people a more of a grassroots level which is why those kind of smaller newsroom and entertainment numbers are so interesting because unless you have someone coming up that has those decades of experience then you can't put them in those senior roles. And that's what a lot of the TV executives were saying yesterday. They're like, we try to find these people to be presenters on our networks and to be front of house, but we just can't find them. And that's not our fault. It's like, because you haven't trained them from the bottom up to take on those jobs. So I think that's the takeaway from this. It's not about as funny as like the cash cow photo is, as funny it is to kind of debate Carl Stefanovic's tweet. I think that's kind of much more the takeaway. Well, one of the most interesting kind of perspectives to come out of it or opinions was on the project last night with journalist Benjamin Law. Um, I think there is an understandable part of our Australian nature that insists on fairness. And I think that is what makes this country and our culture really great. But I think sometimes we tend to rest on our laurels. The fact that we are such a successfully multicultural nation means that if we're sometimes pulled up on things like racism, exclusion, lack of diversity, we get really defensive about it. Whereas I think there's such an opportunity for us to improve our media landscape to say, well, actually, let's celebrate the diversity of perspectives of voices we have, rather than saying, oh, actually, we're not doing anything wrong. We don't, we're not racist because, you know, look over there, we've got that person and that person. I think we are allowed to sit within this information that we've got and say, hey, we can do better. Um, and that's, you know, a part of a, a media landscape that's growing up. Yeah, I think it was such an interesting perspective and something else that came out of that um, discussion on the project last night where the whole panel really took the time to really go through talking over this issue with Benjamin Law and they brought up the success of MasterChef and in particular Melissa Leong and how successful that had been. And I thought it was really interesting when Ben Law said, yes, but let's take that and run with it and blow it out now that we can see that it works. Yeah, and it's really clear that all of this leads to capital gain for networks and for people. We've seen like, and when you're looking at international comparisons to the US and the UK with their charters and targets that they've implemented in the last few years, it has resulted in them doing better and networks being more successful than other networks who are less diverse. Even down to one of those executives that commented within the report saying, we see this across advertising and marketing who spend on our networks, that their advertisements have become very diverse and casting different people from different ethnicities, that it's it was almost kind of crazy to think that that hasn't equated onto network television. So I think that there's so many good proof points on how great it could be, not only just for people to see themselves on television and for us to really get reporting on news right and fair and balanced, but it's a no-brainer for networks to make more money who are losing ad revenue year on year and with COVID who are losing even more ad revenue. It seems like an easy win for me. It is a long-term thing, but it seems to me like the education is there and the recommendations that have come out of this. We now have a baseline of information to measure against each year. It's exciting. We should all be like greeting this with open arms. 
Well, thank you for listening to The Spill today. We hope that you learned something. It's a bit exciting. I don't know if you can tell how excited I am. Another thing that I get very excited about is our growing Facebook group. We love to have all of our listeners join up each day. It's a great community that we're starting full of TV recommendations, the latest profile pieces that we're breaking down. So why don't you hop on to Facebook, search The Spill podcast and join us. Today's episode of The Spill was produced by Rachel Hart. We'll see you on mamamia.com.au. Bye. Bye.